We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius with Sasha in the booth. Today we're going to be previewing the Wings. A couple of episodes ago, we did our first installment of this on the Lakers' big man and their playmaking. In this episode... We're going to talk about the wings, and there are going to be fewer guys to talk about than there will be in the guard section. We'll discuss LeBron, Jared Dudley, Kyle Kuzma, and Danny Green. We could debate on Danny Green and Talon Horton Tucker of whether or not their wings. We're going to include Danny Green on this one. Talon Horton Tucker is going to be on the other one. But there is some bleed through from one position to another. So I suppose we'll we'll start with LeBron. Darius, this is a team that is constructed far more in LeBron James's image, both in terms of his influence on the roster and guys who have typically thrived alongside LeBron. So we got our first day-to-day up-close taste of LeBron last year. I want to kind of look at this through more of a lens of the guys around him because LeBron is, is more of a known entity, although we will get into his game. What do you think of the fit of LeBron with kind of what they've surrounded him with? I like it. To keep it simple, they sort of, just like you said, went back to a model of roster construction, especially in the backcourt and the players around him, who are also sort of like combos or wings, that usually help complement LeBron in a way that not only he can help improve them, but they can help sort of improve him if that makes sense. When 
the Lakers originally acquired LeBron, and you and I spoke about this about a year ago, I mentioned that LeBron had sort of moved into a phase of his career where he had a much more symbiotic relationship with his teammates than he did maybe through the first six to eight years of his career. And, and I think that he depends on certain types of players around him and their skill sets more than, than he used to in order to optimize his own game. And, and we can get into that more when we talk about LeBron specifically, but in terms of his teammates, I like what they did. Yeah, I do too. I think uh, I had a video come out on Friday about him, Anthony Davis, and Danny Green specifically, and about how there is that symbiotic relationship that you're talking about where kind of the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, and, and both of those guys really complement LeBron and what he's able to do. That's something last year where, you know, Weak side defenders were a step closer to LeBron than they would have been if the Lakers had shooters that defenses respected. And I thought that the Lakers really went in the other direction with this year's team of making sure that they get a lot of shooters. Now, the concern with that is, do you think that LeBron has too much of a playmaking burden on this team, being that they geared things more towards shooters, but maybe not guys that you can give them the ball and and have them create a play, at least not as much as it was last year. Yes. Nice. They're already talking about starting him at point guard, which is sort of like semantics, right? LeBron's going to play a lot of sort of lead offensive initiator, regardless of who his teammates are. But when, and I think we'll talk about this some when we get into the guards breakdown, there's a really strong possibility that the Lakers' best lineup is, or best lineups are going to include Danny Green at shooting guard or even at small forward, and then Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Avery Bradley. Sure. There, so there's a real possibility that you might see closing lineups that have Avery Bradley, Danny Green, Kyle Kuzma, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. Or you may even see a lineup like that get a lot of minutes throughout the course of of the regular season. You, you know, Avery Bradley has sort of played some combo guard in his career. He's not someone who I would say, go ahead and bring the ball up and initiate the offense. I definitely don't want KCP doing that. That's not Danny Green's role, role either. And so when you look at the offensive initiator types and, and who's going to be able to do that, it's basically LeBron or Alex Caruso or Rajon Rondo, right? But even those guys, you probably want still LeBron with the ball in his hands. And in terms of high-level offensive shot creation, we got into this with the podcast about the bigs, but the skill on this roster, that resides with a guy like Anthony Davis or even DeMarcus Cousins more so than you would point to any of the other wings that, that are on the roster outside of LeBron. Yeah, that's something that LeBron's going to be relied upon heavily. And when you get into the Caruso's and, and Rondo, you start getting into other, you know, especially with, with Rondo, if you have to have him on the court for his ball handling, that comes with the price on the defensive end. He shot well from a percentage standpoint, but he's a guy that teams will help off. He has no gravity. Yeah, he's got no no gravity at all. And he's somebody that when I went through the tape and, you know, when I, when I made that video, he was a guy that consistently guys are just like, look, if Rondo hits this open three, we'll live with it. And he did a decent job of that. But 
that was at that was at LeBron's expense. And that's something that I want to get into the specifics of LeBron's game is from going back and watching the tape. That was something that was really pervasive to me. And I have a different opinion than I did six to eight weeks ago as a result of that. The degree of extra attention that he was getting. So he's LeBron James and he's always gotten extra attention, but defenses could really load up on him in a way that I thought was detrimental to his ability to get to the basket. He was still able to get there, but it was usually in like semi-transition and transition situations. Um, but a lot of times, you know, those step back threes against a big that had switched upon, switched on him from at first glance, it's like, why is LeBron not like attacking this guy? Right. And then from looking back on the tape and seeing just the degree to which guys off of the ball were collapsing into the paint where it was either LeBron taking that shot or him swinging it to Lonzo or Ingram or Kuzma or Rondo all guys who are not a threat from from three-point range in a way that they weren't effective at it Kuzma was probably the guy that had the most gravity despite having the worst three-point percentage because he shoots it with confidence and he's a guy that can get hot but from from watching the tape he's got a very simple off the dribble game that's very effective in which he uses size and balance a lot more than he uses speed and quickness so this is something that if you project forward like can LeBron maintain this style of play as he gets older it's something I was more encouraged by from watching the tape rather than I did on first glance. Although maybe I'm just being optimistic for what next season could be. This is tis the season for that optimism. What did you see from LeBron, specifically in his off-the-dribble game last year? Did you see signs of slippage? Or, or Do you have like a counter to kind of my optimism on that, I suppose? No, I think that what you're saying is, is true, and, and I wouldn't necessarily even say that what you're talking about is is super optimistic like LeBron has lost a half a step or even a full step the fact of the matter is is that prime prime LeBron had probably a step and a half or two full steps on everyone right And, and 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 so falling back some if that makes him just elite instead of alien (laughs) <laughs> right yeah. then that's the context of of where he is i also think too you've seen pictures of lebron james in the last couple of weeks i think that he came into last season heavier and bigger right i think that he had that jokey sort of instagram post that he put up with his biceps sort of inflated right and luke says i might play some center next year and ultimately that didn't happen at all he looks like he's clearly lost some weight at this stage of the offseason i anticipate a full offseason of training due to the team not making the playoffs this past year is going to allow him to, to sort of come in at more optimal shape so from a physical standpoint i think there's reason to be optimistic this season compared to last season, not only from where he's at with how his body is, but also when you combine that with a better optimized set of teammates, if that makes sense. I want to pull it back even into the into a broader sense that's less X's and O's and more about, about people, really. I feel like if you give an all-time great like him something to prove. Like, I think he goes into the season having something to prove while still having the physical capability that he has of, I I love the way you put it, that he's elite rather than alien at this point, but he's still elite, man. That dude's still fast as hell. He's still powerful as hell. He's still a Mack truck in transition and semi-transition and has 
I think, a greater degree of craft than he's given credit for in terms of understanding how to use that off arm to get a little bit more space and seal his man and how to get a defender to commit left while he spins back right. When you give somebody like that something to prove that's still at that level of player, I think good things tend to happen. And I think that's one thing that this Lakers team has going for them is probably their two best players really have something to prove in terms of what they are. This The table set for Anthony Davis to make a run at MVP this season if he wants to. If he's that dude, he's got something to prove. He's got a better surrounding environment to be able to do that. So when you put that on the table with what LeBron has to prove as well, even with all of his accomplishments, I think he, you know, he finds himself in a place where like, I'm going to show you MFers who the real king of this league is. So I'm excited about that. Let's uh, you got any final points on, uh, on LeBron? No, I just think in general, even with a player as great as LeBron, and maybe this is the pushback that you were looking for earlier, it's still a show me league. And our last memories of LeBron is him sort of shooting a lot of step back threes and a guy who wasn't necessarily attacking off of the dribble in, in the half court as much as we had been used to him seeing. Maybe we can go back and say, oh, well, that was roster, or that was defensive scheme based off of teammates, and that was this, or that was that. While I'm optimistic, like you are, about what he can look like going forward next season, it's still sort of, well, show me again, even with a player as great as LeBron James. So absolutely, absolutely. So now let's move on to the the next, the newest acquisition, I suppose, the the guy that the Lakers spent their most money on, at least over the course of free agency in Danny Green. Danny Green had a career year from beyond the three point line, no matter what Brian Windhorst tells you. But he didn't shoot quite as well in the in the postseason, but was again, a key part of a championship team. I'm curious, Darius, as to your thoughts on Danny Green's, what he brings to the table from a skill set wise, but also how does he fit around the Lakers stars? Well, I think that just in general, he is an elite spot up shooter. I think solely from being on the court and you can station him as like a weak side player. And I think that he's going to bring just great value just by being on the court offensively. Defensively, I think he even has more value. Mm-hmm. Just just because mm-hmm. I think that earlier when we were talking about this symbiotic relationship between LeBron and his teammates, and when we're talking about the wings, I actually think Green here is a great pivot point to sort of talk about what that looks like defensively. Because yeah. Green's a guy who can more than capably guard his own position as shooting mm-hmm. guard. I also think in a lot of matchups, he can slide up and defend mm-hmm. a lot of wings or small forwards. He can be a player who can take the opposing team's best wing player and if not shut him down, put strong defensive minutes on him and, and sort of eat innings that way, Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Which is super important because I don't think the Lakers really had a guy last year like that besides Randy Ingram. And there were injuries that messed with that. And there were just so many perimeter players who got hurt for for last year's team. And and so I think Green is going to serve an important role from that standpoint. We were talking about sort of proving it with LeBron a second ago. Green, I think, is going to have to prove it some too, that he can still make shots like coming off of 
pin downs and wide pin mm-hmm. downs and 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 moving off of the ball in ways that he did two or three years years ago. And so if there's a reason for skepticism, I think it's there for me. Yeah, he's not as good of a shooter off of screens as he is with his feet set. With his feet set, he's absolute money. But the Lakers do need somebody to come off of those screens. Now, you may see some lineups where it's KCP, the guy that's coming off of screens, and it's Danny Green positioned as a spot-up shooter on the weak side. That may actually be a more effective type of look than it would be with Green coming off of the screens. That said, part of the reason why Green Green gets a lot of attention coming off of screens. So it's something that that's a place where like points per possession can be a little deceptive. Our defense is going, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, which they they do to an extent. It's not like Steph or Clay coming off of a screen, but they do that with Danny Green in a way that's going to make Anthony Davis's life easier, JaVale McGee's life easier, those guys rolling to the rim where the defensive big has to step up and hedge hard because, say, AD or JaVale set a good screen on the guy, the big has to step up, and now you've got a roll lane for AD or JaVale, Boogie, guys like that. Danny Green... Can I ask you a question to build on Mm -hmm. that point? What do you see as Green as a passer coming off in those situations? Because a key pass coming off of that pick is a quick sort of quick touch pass lob or the Mm -hmm. quick touch pass pocket bounce pass. Right. Does he have that? Below average. Okay. He's not bad, not good or average, but I'd say he's below average at that. Most of the time, he's going to take that shot. He's got an okay floater from, you know, eight, nine, eight to 10 feet that he'll implement. He's a poor finisher at the rim. But most of the time, if he's curling off of that, so most of the time, the way that defenses will defend him is they'll do, they'll do what's called lock and trail. And so that means Green is standing in the corner and that defender is going to get on his hip that's closest to the baseline. So when he decides to come off of the screen, when you're, lo- if you lock and trail properly, it's really hard to actually make contact on the screen because you're attached to the guy's hip. That's how defenses tend to defend him. And if they do a good job of that, Green's correct read is going to be to curl around that wide pin down screen into and catch the ball right around the elbow. Now, he can raise up for the pull-up right there. He's okay at that. Uh, the pass that Darius is talking about is that's going to be ideal is if he could make that, but he's not particularly good at that. I actually think it's going to be LeBron or whomever the trigger man is at the top of the key in those type of sets reading a slip screen from Anthony Davis or if AD's going to pop AD has a lot of versatility at that spot where he can he can really make those sets work in a way where that can cover for Danny Green's weaknesses but yeah it would be ideal if you had a shooter that was able to come off of that but that's not something he's particularly good at now back to him I I think there are two real weak points and I don't want to say weak weak points necessarily but that the Lakers are thin where they can't afford to lose this player for this reason or that player for that reason. The first is LeBron. Now, of course, and Anthony Davis is, has tremendous talent, but if Anthony Davis were to get hurt, there are other bigs, other fours, other guys that can kind of step up and fill those minutes. Whereas if the Lakers lose LeBron, as we discussed earlier, for any stretch of time, they're who becomes the primary playmaker? That's also true with Danny Green in terms of a wing defender. I think the Lakers need at least one more guy. This is why I've got a candle lit for Andrea Guadala. They need one more guy, ideally, who can defend wings in a way that I, I don't want LeBron to have to absorb those responsibilities. I don't trust Kuzma, even though that's Kuzma's best defensive role. You don't want him to have to be a wing stopper type of guy. If, the, if Danny Green goes down for any period of time, I think they're going to be hurt from a perspective of, of uh, you know, defending 
other wings. So yeah, but but all in all, Danny Green doesn't bring much off of the dribble, but his shooting presence and he's that two-way wing in a way where he doesn't need to have the ball in his hands. He'll probably score 10 to 12 points a game or something like that. He's not going to light the rim on fire, but what he does is he has a gravity on the perimeter that can kind of counteract the gravity that LeBron and Anthony Davis have around the basket. That That should be a nice compliment. Yeah, and, and so for me, an ideal role for, for Danny Green is guard either the shooting guard or small forward, whoever's better, and then offensively be a great enough shooter as a standstill guy to have gravity as both a strong side guy who makes it so that you cannot help off strong side corner because the Lakers had too many players last year where guys would help off a strong side corner. That's like supposed to be death in the NBA, but if Rondo or even Kuzma or KCP were in strong side corner, their defenders would help off of them. Mm -hmm. And Danny Green needs to be a guy who's shooting well enough from, from three. And I think that just right now, his reputation is that guys will not help off of strong side corner and that he's a good enough option on the weak side to make tagging the role man just harder right and then coming off of screens i think the expectation is can he even be as good as kcp if, if he could be as effective as kcp in in those moving off of the ball screen actions as a scorer and be a better like decision maker then mm-hmm. then the lakers are in business with what danny right. green is bringing to the table who's up next for you Let's let's get to Kuz. Let's take a quick little break. And then uh, Kyle Kuzma, who I think in many ways is the most important player on this roster in terms of somebody who could go one direction or another. Let's get to Kuz on the other end of this break. If you look at the world's tech leaders and high growth startup CEOs, it's easy to wonder how in the world they have that kind of inexhaustible energy to do what they do. The answer will surprise you. The latest trend with top tech leaders is sleep optimization. While most Americans aren't getting the sleep that they need, tech founders and CEOs are optimizing their sleep to perform at peak level every day. The first step, the pod by 8sleep, the ultimate sleep machine. The pod is the first and only high-tech bed designed to help you achieve peak mind and body performance. Are you looking to sleep deeper? The pod dynamically adjusts the temperature on each side of the bed so you're comfortable all night. Do you want to know your sleep intel? The pod tracks your biometrics while you sleep with no need for wearable technology. Do you want to sleep better? Enjoy personalized programs and coaching designed by experts guiding you toward true sleep fitness. Because the better you sleep, the better you do everything. Try the pod for 100 nights and if you don't love it, we'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup. Only at 8sleep.com backslash bluewire. They already sold out of their first two batches, so they're going fast. For a limited time, get $150 off of your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com backslash bluewire. That's E-I-G-H-T sleep.com backslash bluewire. And while we're here, summertime is pool time. All pool owners know the hardest thing about owning a pool is keeping the water safe. Testing your pool water is easy, but figuring out what to put in it can be a pain. Sutro has solved the problem. Sutro's free pool chemical calculator takes the hassle out of treating your pool. Our simple text-based interface allows you to test, text, and then treat your pool. Go to mysutro.com backslash bluewire to sign up for Sutro's free pool calculator. If you own a pool or if you have friends or family who do, tell them about Sutro. It's the simple, safe, and convenient way to keep your pool water safe. Take the guesswork out of pool work with Sutro. Sign up for free at mysutro.com backslash bluewire. All right, so Kyle Kuzma, 
he's a guy we had Coach Gibson Piper on last week, who was great talking about Frank Vogel's playbook. And Kuz was a guy that Coach Piper was thought that would he would struggle at the beginning, uh, not necessarily at the beginning, but could throughout this season to adapt to the new circumstances. I don't necessarily agree with that point in that I, I think Kuz generally thrives off of what other guys can do. I think Kuz probably took on more of a he took a lot, Kuz took a lot of I'm the number one option type of shots last season. It's it's actually kind of remarkable to me. He's as efficient as he is when he takes really difficult shots and, and has over the last couple of seasons. I actually think that we'll see his efficiency go up because he's going to take fewer of those low percentage, really difficult type of reads and more of those. I'm scoring buckets off of creation from two great player type of shots, but it will be, I think, on less volume than he's gotten in the past. He's a guy, though, with his jump shot, with his ability to defend. He He's a guy who could be a third option scorer for sure that this team very much needs. But a lot of times the great like third option type of guys are able to bring you something more than just scoring. I always think of Lamar Odom and his ability on the defensive end, his ball handling, his passing. He could mix in scoring and rebounding with that too, but it was kind of a Swiss army knife type of guy. You you go back to Chris Bosh, you go back to, you know, Clay Thompson being a two-way player type of guy. What what do you foresee Kuz's role this season, Darius, in on a team where his role is probably going to be significantly different than it was his first two years? Well, first of all, I'm interested to see if he starts or comes off the bench. Do you have any two cents on that? I would like him to come off of the bench, especially if AD is going to be starting at the four. You're going to have LeBron at the three and, and Boogie or, or JaVale at the five, most likely. That's something I, I think when you think of the construction of this team from a starters and bench type of circumstance, now obviously we're, he's going to stagger lineups. It's not all hockey substitutions. But when you look at the bench, there's a lot of guards there. Caruso, KCP, Avery Bradley, Quinn Cook. None of those guys can really get their own shot at a high clip. Yeah. And I think that it's important. Like that's a good place for Kuz to be able to do that. Kuz would be my first sub off of the bench so that he can take advantage of that. I can score off of LeBron and Anthony Davis type of minutes, but can also be a guy if he comes in at the four minute mark or the six minute mark of the first quarter can kind of be the number one or number two option off of the bench. Say it's Kuzma and Boogie are your top two guys coming off of the bench. Then all of a sudden you've got 48 minutes where you've got at least two really credible scorers on the court. Where, where do you stand on that? I'd like to see him come, come off the bench and, and be the first sub in and probably come in for the center in order to slot his minutes between next to Davis and next to LeBron both. That was sort of my first thing with Kuzma is what is his role going to be? He's been a starter in this league. He was a guy who started basically all of last season. So I'm interested to see how he adjusts to that sort of role. I think he has it in him, and I think his mindset as the guy who you said takes a lot of I'm, I'm the top option type uh-huh. shots, um, a guy like that fits well as a scorer come, coming off of the bench, so I'm interested to see him there. I'm also interested to see so, sort of what his skill development looks like coming off of this summer. There's, he's done some sort of highly publicized work with a shooting coach this year Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and so i'm i'm interested to see how that translate to translates to the court in terms of success with that and whether there's a reversion to to old habits and then i'm also interested in in seeing if 
he picks up any sort of additional ball handling duties, right? So this is a conversation of, about the wings. You and I have gone back and forth about this a lot when it comes to what type of player Kuzma is, but I think that at first we sort of saw him as a 4-3, a guy who could mostly get minutes at power forward but could capably play some small forward. And over the basically his first two seasons, that idea has flipped for me where I sort of see him more as as a 3-4. Do you see that as well? Yeah, I, I strongly believe that that he might even just be a three. I think he's played for, and that's something that, you know, that he's played for in college and he's played for in the NBA. I, I don't think he's an NBA four, and that's not a knock on him. It's just like, he's this really quick, for a guy his size, he, he's got great feet, but he's kind of light in the back pocket. He's a guy that fours and fives can bully and push around. It, it's just always been kind of an accepted Kyle Kuzma is a four type of thing, but it, what he's best at on the defensive end, he had this great stretch last year where he defended Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, there was another like wing who comes off of screens type that he did a really good job on. He defended Luca uh, particularly well. That's what he does best is chasing those guys off of your off ball shooters. And so, like, is he great at that? No, but I think I actually think he's above average at that. And that's the one area where he can be that. I think that his ability on defense even more so than on offense uh and i am curious about that skill development ball handling the jump shot is maybe the most single critical attribute of any player that can go either way right on this team like if kuzma gets back to shooting 36 37 from three-point range this team is going to be a top five offense I truly believe that because of all of the other places where that gravity is being generated. We talked about AD. We talked about LeBron, the pressure that they hit on the rim, the fact that you have to really respect Danny Green's ability to hit open shots. And Kuz, Kuz can hit shots coming off of screens. He's got the footwork for it, right? He, he know, he can hit shots other than just standstill jumpers if he can do all of that at that 36 percent clip which is basically like we could be talking very optimistic here but it's really just do what you did your rookie year right this isn't something like him being a good defender we're asking him to add something that he's never really had even though he's shown flashes in particular areas him being a great ball handler we're something we're asking him to add that him being a good shooter is something that he's done and so if you can get to that man this team's going to be so damn good on the offensive end so I, I'm, I'm curious about all those things, but defensively, when we get down to the nitty gritty of, of the final five minutes of a close game in the fourth quarter, when we get to playing the big teams in the playoffs and the Lakers are going to have to switch more, can Kuzma not be the guy that teams seek out because that's what he's been of, oh, you're switching? Hey, let's get Kuz on our best player. That's when you go matchup hunting for the guy you consider to be the weakest link. So can he get to the point of of adequacy there? Because if not, it may be difficult to keep him on the floor during those. And we may see those Avery Bradley, KCP, Danny Green, LeBron, Anthony Davis lineups where everybody can defend. But if Kuz can get in, can crack that lineup and can do that defensively, then that adds a whole different dimension of that third option type score. Because at the end of the day, I do think we have a good enough third option from a scoring perspective. It's the other elements of his game that don't quite rise to that. That's exactly where I... I am as well with him. The thing about Kuz and where I think what really benefits him as a wing defender is he's big. I think people see the way that he plays and a lot of Euro steps, a lot of floaters, and just the way he moves moves around the floor. I think people see him as maybe more like a 6'7", 6'8", guy, and mm-hmm. he's taller than that. You, you know, he's like a six nine and probably six ten in shoes. 
And I think his size really helps him defensively. It's the places where, where he struggles is when he's put in space and his sort of defensive technique, which is something that you've talked about a lot, right? Like he hops around a lot mm-hmm. and he's not as in the stance slide slide guy. He's, mm-hmm. he's in a stance and then he's upright and then he's back in a stance and then he's upright. And in order to play in a switching style defense or when you get targeted by smaller sort of shooting guard or point guard sized guys who really like to do work off of the dribble, like a Donovan Mitchell type, for, mm-hmm. for example, those guys are really shifty and, and he has issues staying with them. And there's just a level of adequacy that he's going to need to get to in general as an off the dribble at the point of attack defender and and to me that is the biggest step that he can take in order to be sort of that impact player that the lakers really need slotted in as a quote-unquote third or fourth option type that's right and the, and the thing that might make this more realistic than optimistic is Phil Handy, the Lakers hiring Phil Handy, who's considered one of the best, if not the best player development guy in the NBA that's going right now. I can tell you this. So I've been talking about Kuzma hopping around in his on-ball defense ever since his rookie season. Phil Handy will address this. Will it work? Will it translate? Will Kuz be able to do it? Everybody speaks highly of Kuzma's work ethic. So that's not something that I ever worry about. I can guarantee you that Phil Handy is going to get on that and is going to address him hopping around. And now if Kuzma is still getting beat and he's using good technique, Hey, you did what you could, you know, you, you try that, that he may have too high of a center of gravity. There may be various issues that he has biomechanically that prevent him from being a good defender. But technique is something that no matter what your skill level is, you can work on that. So that is one area where I, I have more optimism when it comes to Kuzma becoming adequate on the defensive area and is that they've got one of the very best and most respected player development guys in the NBA. And he's going to be helping Anthony Davis. He's going to be helping all of the guys. He's a guy that, uh, Kawhi Leonard really credited his improvement in the ball ha- in ball handling to Phil Handy to a significant degree. So along with the work that Kuz is doing this offseason with Lethal Shooter, and he's he's going to have a lot of support in his player development on uh, during the regular season, and I'm excited about that. So let's let's transition to the the last guy here is Jared Dudley, who I don't <laughs> when I think of wings, I don't really think of Jared Dudley, but I don't think of him as a big either. He's a kind of a, a stretch four at this point. He's a guy I'm I'm a really big fan of. He's I, I always refer to him as one of the five smartest guys in the NBA in from a basketball IQ standpoint. He really understands defensive rotations. He's one of the few bigs he's one of the few guys like him who's <laughs> he's not the best athlete in the NBA. He doesn't have the best physique in the NBA, but he's really got a motor well into his thirties on the defensive end. He's really gonna provide a lot and then he can, you know, hit open threes at a at a mid-30s clip. He's going to swing the ball when the ball's supposed to be swung. He's going to set weak side pin screens to get a guy open. Just all of the little stuff that coaches love, Jared Dudley's going to do that. What, I, I'm a big Dudley fan. Where, where do you stand on him? I'm with you one 100% about sort of everything that we talked about with Kuzma was like tangible. Swing the pendulum the other way to intangibles, and that's Dudley. Box score numbers, throw them out the window, I don't really care. I don't care if Dudley's season averages next year are four points and a rebound and and a half and 0.7 assists. 
and that could totally be a thing. You know what I mean? To me, what matters is how he fits in the chain from an offensive and defensive standpoint to help facilitate lineup success. And mm-hmm. that's what I think he's going to bring to the table as as a player. The guy who makes the extra pass, the guy who sets the screen that sets up the extra pass, the guy that makes the rotation ahead of time. So let's rewind to the beginning of the podcast and some of the stuff that we said about LeBron and how defenses were shading him a certain way. And then that impacted LeBron's decision-making at the point of attack because he's making secondary reads rather than primary reads as an offensive player. Now let's go back to Dudley. Dudley's the type of defensive player who can position himself in a way which is going to discourage that secondary read based Mm -hmm. off of the way that he's playing team defense, right? And that will never show up in the box score. It shows up in the tape. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. So, it does. so that's where I'm excited for Dudley. It's, it's for all of those little things that he does on the court. And then when you add in all of the off-the-court stuff, right? Little talks on the bench, in the film room, pointing things out, conversations with the coaches, and then how that gets translated to the players. Plane rides, bus rides, shooed around stuff. There's all kinds of things that go into building a successful team. And Dudley is a guy that works those margins like few other veterans in the league. And and that's why I'm excited, too, to have him on this roster. That's something that I'm excited about for the roster as a whole. I think that this is something Palinka talked about in his conference call. And to give him credit, I think that they really did this well is the Lakers have a lot of guys on this team that players respect. And I think when you combine that with the coaching staff, guys like, I like, look, I'm not a Jason Kidd guy at all, but he has the respect of a lot of players around the league. Lionel Hollins fits that, fits that as well. When you talk about Jared Dudley, Avery Bradley, Rondo, who's another guy that fits a, I, yes. you know, I don't like him as a player, but he's a guy that he probably gets a, an assist for getting boogie here, right? He's a guy that He's a leader. I, I argue that, you know, somebody who can lead the way that Rondo can and just he can't gets really the assist for bringing Bradley here, too. Absolutely. You, you Absolutely. heard Bradley's calm comments. They were teammates at, in Bradley's early in part, part mm-hmm. of his career with, well, with Boston. And mm-hmm. he specifically said, like, I wanted to come back and play with Rondo as well as Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And, and so, yeah, Rondo does bring value there. So I'm with you. Absolutely. And I would argue that he's basically a coach at this point. That's who you are if you're a great leader, but can't play anymore. And, but that's going to be a matter of how the minutes are distributed, right? Like if he's not getting a ton of run, then that's okay. If he's starting, God, God forbid, or, or getting big minutes, then that can be problematic. And that can kind of work against the good work that he does in the, in the locker room and in recruiting and all of that. But when you look at all of these guys, Dudley, Avery Bradley, Rajon Rondo, uh, I, I've been finding out lately that Quinn Cook is a really highly respected guy, and I wasn't aware of that from both from a media standpoint and from, from fellow players. He's a, a young guy that, that people really respect in terms of how he goes about his business. Um, I, I may be leaving out somebody here or there, but there are a lot of really well-respected guys on this team uh, to go along with Dudley that I'm really excited about. The The way that manifests itself on the court is I don't think this is a team that's going to get too high or too low. 
And that's something that can happen with young teams when they've got it going, they feel great, and they can feel like they're running the other team out of the gym. There are also times, and we saw this with Alonzo, we saw this with Brandon, uh, we saw this with Josh Hart, uh, even with Kuz, where if, if things aren't going well, they can really get discouraged and be taken out of other elements of their game. I think that's going to happen less with this team. It's also when there are, from a X's and O's standpoint, Jared Dudley, you mentioned him on the defensive end relative to LeBron getting more attention on him at the point of attack. But on the offensive end, he's going to be like, oh, they're cheating off of this person. Maybe I'm going to go down and set a pin screen. And now that's going to be Danny Green open on the weak side instead of me or Quinn Cook open on the weak side. He's going to, all of these guys, these veterans are, I've seen this particular circumstance thousands of times in the NBA. I know exactly what to do to beat it. They might not have the physical capability of a younger player, but that's really where the value of veterans can be. It's like, I've seen this before. I know how to beat it. And that's going to put the superstars on this team in a much better position to be able to beat that rather than young players who don't know how to make that read quite yet in real time. They're still getting their sea legs. There's no knock on them. It's just something that veterans do better. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of like off the court stuff and intangible stuff here too i also say we'll we'll say this dudley is going to be a more and more important player based off of how he slots next to every other player that's on the roster lebron obviously plug and play anthony davis plug and play those guys are probably the two most versatile players or not probably they are the two most versatile players and any lineup construction is going to work with them operating as the sun in the solar system, right? You know who mm-hmm. else is a plug-and-play player? Jared Dudley. Yes, so absolutely. He slots next to every other player on this roster. You want him to play next to Kyle Kuzma in a two-forward set next to DeMarcus Cousins? Go for it. You want him to play next to LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis, and those are your forwards? Go for it. Mm-hmm. He can play with every other player on this roster, this is where, too, he's going to need to hit some shots, man. Like, For sure. Last year, I think he was, like, around league average 35, in between mm-hmm. 35 and 36%. That number is going to need to drift back up to where his career average has been, which is hmm. basically, like, like over 40. I'm not saying he has to be a 40% shooter, but I think instead of 357 or something like that, a 38.4, or pushing 39%. I think based off of the shot quality he's likely to get if he's in lineups, especially just just next to LeBron, let alone in lineups where he might be playing next to LeBron and Davis, the shot quality that he's going, going to see, more of those are going to need to go down. Because even with all of the intangibles that we spoke of, if he's not hitting shots... I just think that those minutes are going to go to Kyle Kuzma or Danny Green and they'll play smaller and slot LeBron up. You know what I mean? No, that's a great point. That's something that um, he shot 35.1% last year, and that was the lowest he shot from from three-point range since his rookie season back in 2007-2008. I watched a decent amount of Brooklyn last year, and a lot of their—they created good threes for guys, but it was really built around around like Russell's ability to hit pull-ups and Joe Harris's ability to come off of screens along with Alan Crabb as well. For spot-up guys, it was not as conducive because— 
you get spot up threes more off of gravity of great players than you do out of system. Like if you can, they, they ran some great stuff off of screens and staggers, you know, to get Joe Harris and Alan Crabb guys who can hit those shots, but they didn't have as much uh, individual gravity on that team as the Lakers do. So I do think that there is reason for optimism for Dudley's percentage to go up from beyond the arc. One thing I'll say say about that is a player like D'Angelo Russell, for for example, where he brings value in terms of creating spot spot up shots is in the ability to to sort of hit that skip pass when the big man rolls and then the weak side wing tags. The thing is though is that NBA perimeter defenders see that action all of the time, and there's a rhythm to that as a tag and then recover man. The type of shots that superstars create by getting downhill are the swing, swing, mm-hmm. three point shot. Mm-hmm. And so, what I'm hoping for Dudley is that he's going to see more swing, swing pass, mm-hmm. three point spot, spot up options rather than just the hook pass to him sort of sliding into a three point shot. Because right. that swing, swing is like the difference between a defender being four and six feet away, and two and three feet away. That's a great point. That's exactly how how it should look. Ultimately, I think Dudley's probably a two-shift player, a 12 to 15, 16-minute type of guy on this team, and that's okay. Part of the value of having a guy like him is, you know, if if he needs to be a DNP one night, he's still going to have value on the court. He's still going to have value to a guy like Kyle Kuzma. I'm actually really excited to see Kuz. Kuz was like the leader of the young guys in terms of the locker room dynamic, and now he's the kid, right? He's the, him and Caruso are the two guys who, and, and more so Kuzma than Caruso, are the two guys who are in their early 20s still that are are going to be able to benefit from all of these really well-respected guys, your Avery Bradleys, your Jared Dudleys, your Rajon Rondos, LeBron, all of these dudes in the locker room. I, I'm really excited about what the impact of that is. And and so Dudley's that perfect 10th guy, you know, in your in your rotation. I'm, I'm excited about what he brings to the table. All right. I think that does it for this wing preview. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right, my book. Will you get these idiots out of here? <laughs>